Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of us gathered here and all sisters and brothers gathered at all spots around God's good world today. I want to welcome you into this ongoing study, this series called That Kind of Church. And as we prepare our minds and hearts here in this space, I welcome the rest of our church family worshiping in a space just down the hall in our Family Life Center. I welcome you into this conversation. And I also welcome those who are part of our extended JCBC family watching online uh, who could not be here with us today. As we begin, prepare for part, what is this, four, five? They all run together, don't they? Around part four, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Will you join me in, in prayer? And God, in this moment, we pause for just long enough to acknowledge a real truth that sometimes we can blaze right by and completely ignore. The truth that we confess to you today is this. You are closer to us than we often see or hear or feel. Your presence in and among us is always up to something, attempting to evoke some kind of a transformation. And Lord, do we need it. We've gathered into this space and in spaces all over your good world, we have gathered attempting to seek the kind of transformation that makes this journey worth it. Many have come into this hour with burdens so heavy that it was, it was quite possible they could have stayed in the car or not even driven to church this day. There are some who are carrying around such heavy loads that even if they wanted to, they could barely fix their attention upon you because there is so much requiring their mind and their heart right now. Our prayer is that you would show us how to trust you for just a few moments with everything that's on our mind and heart so that we might be liberated for just a while to see a world other than the one right in front of us. As we worship you, Lord, we pray that you, your, your spirit, your presence would so transform us that we are able to live differently in this world and this world becomes more repaired because we were with you today. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the Lord of life. Amen. Well, many of you have been so kind to me these past 48 hours. Many of you know that we moved our firstborn son into college for the very first time on Friday. It was a great and terrible day. And many of you have done the same this month, moved your first, your second. Some of you have moved 
your last, and you are walking into new realms, unchartered territory, and some of you have done this, and it's been so long that there is kind of a quickening in your heart, because you remember, you remember what it was like, and I'm grateful to you for your care. You know, we moved him in on Friday, Nathan, Samford University, and, and while you're there, you know what you do when you move your kid into college? You hope that, you, that he has all the things, she has all the things that they need, and so you make sure that in their room they have some stuff, you know, like laundry detergent, maybe some food. And if you have a boy, you hope maybe, maybe an air freshener somewhere in the room. Somebody say amen. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. But then it's in the drive home. Now I hear you groaning. Come on. It's in the drive home that you hope you have left something in that room beyond fabric softener, beyond school supplies. What you hope is that you have left something in the heart and in the mind that will go the distance. You hope that you have instilled within them something of of a toughness of mind and a softness of heart. You hope that you have instilled within them the capacity to remain open and at the same time grounded. You hope that along the way they've learned something about faith and hope and love that will go the distance. You want grit so that they may do this launch well, right? And on the way home, I'm thinking about that, about our son, but And then more than that, these last several hours, several days, I've been thinking about the reality that in many ways we as a family of faith launch young people into life all the time. And I at times wonder, how are we doing with equipping them with the materials of life, not just the right major, the right career, the right way to finance their way through life, but are we equipping a generation of believers who are passionately in love with Jesus Christ and capable of navigating the tough waters that are absolutely ahead of them? I've been thinking about that as the church of Jesus Christ these days because this past week, once again, on the week that we launched our firstborn child, I remember And so I looked again at a classic book now that came out a few years ago by David Kinnaman called You Lost Me. And the subtitle is Why Young People Are Leaving Church and Rethinking Faith. And in this book, and then of course in some research and in in some uh, reports that have come out to, to, to confirm this, even in 2016, 2017, Young people between the ages of 18 and 29 are leaving the faith by the millions. By the millions every year. And in the research, what we have learned is that there are at least six reasons that they report that they have walked away from the faith. And David Kinnaman summarizes these six as follows. He says that they report that the church that they experienced was overprotective. What does that mean? It means it was too safe. 
It means that, that we've shielded and protected them from the riskiness of following Jesus or anything compelling enough to take a bold risk in life that the church, in their experience, was overprotective. Second, they said it was shallow, afraid to take on the hard issues of the day and equip them to go headlong into a world filled with complexity. The third was that they experienced a church that was anti-science, that was afraid to consider what our, our beloved friends, neighbors, brothers and sisters in the scientific community are telling us about where we've been, where we are, where we're going. They also report that the church they experienced was a doubtless church, that there was no space to bring healthy doubt. They experienced a church that was exclusive and repressive. Now, over these past six and a half, almost seven years, by the end of this year, you have heard me preach about each of those. In fact, put them back up on the screen for just a moment. You've heard me talk about the church can't be repressive and exclusive. We have to be inclusive and welcome everyone to the Lord's table. You've heard me preach about this is a space where we must bring our doubts. That doubt is not a lack of faith, but doubt is an act of faith. You've heard me preach about science and not being anti-science, but recognizing that science is the way to get a bigger glimpse into the majesty and complexity of a big, big God. But of all six that are reported by those who are leaving the church in droves, the first two sent a shiver up my spine and that should send a shiver up the spine of the body of Christ. Overprotective and shallow. Another way to summarize that would be safe and shallow. Safe and shallow. The irony of ironies is this. Never before has the church in America, the church of this current age, never before have we attempted to work so hard at keeping young people We've never attempted to be as creative, innovative, imaginative as we thinking outside the box as we can, and yet we're still losing them because they tell us that we have presented a faith to them that is too easy, a faith that is so comfortable and secure and predictable, one that presents the gospel as entertainment. And at the end of the day, they are telling us that while we appreciate the effort, while we appreciate everything you've tried to do to make it easy, comfortable, happy for us so that we don't go anywhere and we stay put, we just don't find it compelling. They just don't find it compelling enough to pursue a life in pursuit of this kind of entertaining, shallow, safe gospel. And I've got news for them. I don't find that compelling either. Never could there be a more important time for you and me to have a series like we're having right now called That Kind of Church than right now. Because these last few weeks, we've been talking about what is it that makes our church different? What, what are the core values that shape who we are and, and how we think about existing in the world as Johns Creek Baptist Church. And the core value today that, I, that I'm focusing on, that I want you to, to think about, it's printed in your worship guide there in your insert, we value theological depth and diversity. It's core value number two on our seven core values, theological depth 
and diversity, and there could never be a more timely series and conversation or even topic of the day than that. Uh, Listen to how we describe theological depth and diversity. Believing in historic Baptist principles, freedoms, and traditions, we recognize the sole competency of every individual and affirm the priesthood of all believers. Now tune into this. As such, we value, Johns Creek Baptist Church, we value theological depth and diversity in all areas of our shared life, believing that spiritual and intellectual openness better enables us as a congregation to marvel at the ineffable mysteries of God. Why do we believe in theological depth and diversity? Why is it that we affirm spiritual and intellectual openness? Because it empowers us to be able to marvel at the ineffable mysteries of God. And the mystery of all mysteries is this. It's one word. It's it's grace. What a mystery that a holy and perfect and loving God would welcome us and love us and there's nothing that we could have done about it. Nothing that we could do to earn that love. That's grace. But the mystery of that grace is this. That grace ought to evoke something out of us. That grace that you and I receive freely from from the Lord our God ought to instill within us a desire to do something about that grace. And that doing something will inevitably lead to risk and danger and a kind of relinquishment of control. Now we're venturing venturing away from the safe and the shallow to something more. Is it not our Lord who said, if any wish to follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow. In other words, if you follow me, there will be a risk. It's not going to be safe or shallow or easy. He's also the one who later in Matthew in chapter 16 offers these words. He he says, you know, I am sending you out into the world like sheep among wolves. Because if you say yes to living a life that I'm demonstrating before you, it will cost you something. You will be branded a particular way. It will cost you something And if you choose to follow, it's like sheep living among wolves. He's also the one who said, look, if you're going to follow me, don't enter through the wide gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many on on it. But enter through the narrow gate. This thing's going to be tough. It's a narrow road and, and there are few on it. But it's that road that leads to life. See, what I find fascinating about this report from Kinnaman and, and the report that is evidenced by people you know, someone between 18 and 29 who you know who has left, is that if they have left because the church has been uncompelling, if they leave because it's shallow and safe, then something has happened on our watch. Something has happened on our watch because it didn't begin that way. There were those in the early church who gave everything. And they they didn't have to prove anything. But they gave up everything because of one overriding belief that if you follow this man, it it is going to lead to life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the one who gave his life in martyrdom in Nazi Germany, he said these words. He said, 
When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die to self, die to ego, die to control, die to some sense that, that you have ultimate say over your life. Die to a, well, a way of life that leads you to be the Lord and King. Christ bids a man to follow. He bids him to come and die. This is the grace that I'm talking about, that that we have to somehow reconcile. If we are called to be a church that values theological depth and diversity, it is because there is much at stake. This is not a shallow invitation to follow this crucified and risen Lord. Do you know what Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said about it? He said this is is what is the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. See, I think those who leave the church because they think it's shallow, it's safe, it's not risky enough, have only been presented a cheap grace. And he describes the difference. And I want to read you an excerpt from this classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. And it's a lengthy passage, but I want this to fall on your ears and ask yourself, have we been given a cheap or costly grace? And which is the kind that we are offering to the world? Listen to to his words. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace means grace sold on the market like, (laughs) like... peddler's wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at low, low prices, cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions, without fixing limits. Grace without price. Grace without cost. Come and get it. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Uh, without requiring baptism, without church discipline, uh, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in a field. For the sake of it, A man will go and sell all that he has. It it is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves the nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought Again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which the man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man 
the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were brought, bought with a price. And has, what has cost God must, much cannot be cheap for us. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Beloved, in a world in which the church is being experienced and and seen as something that is too safe, too shallow, not risky, uncompelling, I ask you to ask Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who asked the Lord himself, what has it cost you? Because suddenly, in the words of the great theologian Lady Gaga, we are far from the shallow now, right? And you and I are called to be a different kind of church in this cultural milieu. You and I are called to be a different kind of church that values theological depth and diversity. Why? Because the stakes are too high. There's too much at stake for us not to swim into the deeper waters. Because yes, you have been saved by grace. But Paul says, because you have, you must Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we work to be saved. We, we can't do that. That's work that God did on our behalf. But in response to it, we work it out. We struggle. We dig deep. This is not a shallow faith. This is a call to deeper waters. Because if you welcome Christ as the Lord of your life, if you say, yes, this one is in charge of everything, if you yield your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then Paul says there is in you like this, this treasure An immeasurable, costly treasure in clay jars. But the trouble that you and I know is true is that we can hide that treasure. We can bury it. We can camouflage it beneath layer and layer of rebellion and sin and apathy. We can be so anesthetized by the stimulation of outside life, outside this place, that we have no room to be provoked, stoked, or evoked this treasure might live, it's possible that the risen Christ, the inner aliveness of the risen Lord is in you, but it's possible that if we don't work it out, we can put that inner aliveness back into the tomb of our own hearts. So what's needed, according to Thomas Keating, is an excavation of soul. It's like an archaeological project. Something is needed to excavate that treasure in us, to make it come alive. And that's what we do here every Sunday, is an attempt to excavate the soul, an attempt to work out our salvation 
and fear and trembling. That's why we go deep. That's why we go diverse. Listen, something happened last week I want to tell you about. So you know that um, I'm, I'm kind of a gym rat. That's what we call people who like to go to the gym from time to time. I don't play golf. I wish I did. I'm not that cool. My wife and I have started playing a little bit of tennis. I'm not that good. But we started dabbling. But for me, the thing I do for my main therapy is I go and I lift some weights. Not very heavy weights, but just some weights. This past week, I was with my wife, and we went at the same time. We often go at the same time, but ironically, this time we were in the same space because I lift lady weights. You know, I'm just, I'm kidding. It's actually the opposite. She's in this space because she lifts like some serious weight. She's strong. So we're in the space where, where the dumbbells are, and I'm lifting this pretty decent amount. I can lift some, some weight. I can throw some some iron around a little bit from time to time on a good day. But this day, I was just kind of feeling like I wanted to mail it in. <sighs> I'm moving my son away. I'm sad. I don't really want to do much. I'm just kind of doing this thing. Well, this other man is in the, the space, and we are going to have to share this bench because it's crowded. And this guy, I wish you could see this dude. He was massive. This guy, like I've said before, this guy had muscles in places that I don't even have places, right? And there we are. He's like, do you mind if I, he's more like, do you mind if I share this with you? I said, no, sir. <laughs> and so we're sharing this bench and he'll go, then I'll go. And then we talk in between and my wife is watching the whole time. But now that he's sharing this bench with me and now that he's sharing it with me, lifting the weight that he's lifting in front of my wife, my girlfriend, now I'm going to step it up, Right? And so I'm lifting heavier and heavier, and I'm going pretty, I'm going pretty heavy now. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it's pretty heavy. And, and I went my final set. We're talking in between. Now, the thing is, this guy, his normal workout partner uh, was in the NFL. He was a former Georgia Bulldog, went on to play for the NFL for several years. If I called his name, you would know him. So I'm not going to do that because I don't want you to go tell him this story so, in case you know it. But his workout partner wasn't there that day. So what was I to do? He needed my help. I'm an Enneagram too. I help. And so I was like, you know, hey, we're just going to do this. We're going to share it together. In between sets, we're talking. He's like, yeah, it's always better when you have a partner. I said, yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> and, and then I was like, you know, Proverbs, you know, iron sharpens iron. Right, brother? He's like, yeah, right on. You know, and so he lift really heavy. I'd lift not so heavy. My last set, I go and I get the, the, the dumbbells that I'm going to lift. And now in my life before, twice before, I've lifted these particular weights. They're pretty heavy. But at the time, I only lifted like once or twice. And that was it. I was, I was kaput. I was done. This time, I said, hey, would you mind just kind of watching me on this? I said, just give me a spot. You know, elbows. Watch my elbows in case they start to go back. Just grab them. Just, you know. So I start. And I put one up. I put two up. And then I'm starting to go back. Oh, this is going to be embarrassing. And I start to go back. And I'm going to have to finish after two sets. Then he starts yelling at me. He said, no, come on now. He said, you got this. And I'm like, all right. He said, you got this. Push that stuff up. Hey, he didn't use that word. <laughs> push that stuff up. You got this. Come on, push. You're not finished. And so, lo and behold, boom, and boom. 
I got a full set of this stuff. Best set of my life, I'm telling you. Best set of my life. I finished. I dropped them. Boom, boom. High five, you know, chest. Uh, did, looked over. My wife was like shaking her head, looking at me. You know, we're going to the ER. I know we're going. And I felt, I never felt stronger or better. And it occurred to me in that moment, my beloved sisters and brothers, this is what it occurred to me. The body will rise to the level of its challenge. The body will rise to the level of its challenge. And the same can be said for the body of Christ. If a church sets the level way down here, it's all you can lift, it's all you can do, it's all you're meant to do, they will rise to that level and everyone who comes through those doors will say, is that it? Hmm. Not compelling, it's too safe, it's too shallow, I'm out. But if you raise that level to a place even beyond the church itself thinks it can go, if you raise the level high, the body will rise to the level of its challenge. And I just want you to know, because I love you, that as long as I am the pastor of this congregation, I am going to keep calling you to rise to the level of this body's challenge. Because there is more in us than we not only have ever seen, but more in us than we could ever imagine. So in the preaching, in the teaching, in the youth, the children, everything we do will be an attempt to call us up to rise to higher levels Theological depth and diversity, you're going to see it everywhere possible. Why? Because there's too much at stake not to. So in preaching, for example, when I preach from the Word, I, it's not going to be to make you feel good. Because earlier that week, I will have struggled with something I heard in the text that has confronted me. And if the Bible is not confronting us, to change in our ways and become transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ, then I don't know what book we're reading, but it ain't the Bible. The Bible is filled with stories that are meant to not just comfort the afflicted, but sometimes afflict the comfortable. So I can promise you every chance I get, I will stand here to bring theological depth and diversity. I'm not going to preach to you something that you simply have heard your whole life because what's compelling about that? What's compelling is a call for you to, to risk something. To say yes to something that could cost you everything. And it's not just in preaching. This is how our worship ministry plans music, plans our worship services. This is how Sunday school is planned. Do you know this morning I grabbed this list of curtain classes, current classes that we are listening, uh, watching in, in Sunday school. We have so many Bible studies, book studies, topical studies. But I noticed again here this one. It's called The Last 300 Years, The Intertestamental Period, taught by Richard Douglas. It's about that period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you know why he's teaching that? It's not to be cute. But do you realize that in a post-exile world, when that period of time uh, took place, the world for the religious community, the world of the people of faith had collapsed. And these writings emerged as an attempt to try to figure out how to live in a world that is no longer recognizable. What more appropriate time than today to look back over our life and with a deep richness of study, consider how the people of faith have lived in similar times as our time today. 
This happens not only in sermons and not, not only in, in study, like in Sunday school, but our children's ministry, for example. Do you know Pastor Annie is constantly looking for volunteers who will join with her in attempting to hold the carrot out in front of our children. Not to placate our children and talk down to them as if they can't handle it, but to constantly raise the bar. One of my biggest pet peeves over my ministry career has been when I've been in churches and they've said, you know what, the children can't be in worship with you, and that, or maybe even the youth can't be in worship with you because, Sean, you just kind of you preach over their heads. You know what my response is? Well, then let's be the church that teaches a generation to get their heads up, to show them how to know what Scripture says and what the living word, Christ, expects from them. Let's elevate to the level that the body is capable of. The body will rise to the level of its challenge, right? You know that we're calling a youth pastor, right? We're searching for a youth pastor. But I want you to know, and I need our students to understand, I'm not calling a youth pastor who's going to come and tickle your feet. Well, they may tickle your feet. That's kind of, you know, what youth pastors They're not going to come tickle your ears. They're not going to come and make you feel happy and satisfied and comfortable. We're not looking for somebody like that to join our team. We're looking for somebody who's going to come and rattle the cages until you wake to realize God expects something of you that you may think you don't have in you. That's why we value theological depth and diversity, because we're not afraid we don't scare easy here. And there is one quote that I want to end with that I want you to hear, and I want you to hear it as if I'm speaking to you as a body of believers. One writer put it this way. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light and not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, well, who am I to be uh, brilliant, you know, gorgeous, talented, uh, fabulous? Well, actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel, feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let, let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. This is why at John's Creek we're not afraid of theological depth or diversity. This is why we're able to share the same space in a room, a study, a sanctuary with people with whom we may vehemently disagree over particular issues. Because in the, the context of mutual respect, we realize that iron really does sharpen iron. And this world that is in so need of repair needs a few churches who are willing to step up and say, Follow me into the deep. Why do we value what we value here? Because we are that kind of church. Let the church say amen. Amen.
And now let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, during this moment, we recognize that there is a call, and that call is always, always, without exception, beyond what we think we are capable of, beyond what we have known, beyond what we have experienced. It is there that you stand bidding us to come. And we pray that we would be that kind of church, willing to go to the depths. And we pray that if there is an individual in this church today who is feeling that sense of call, that nudge in their own heart right now, you would give them the courage to step out in faith, to not wait another moment to respond. We pray that in so responding, Lord, your name and your name alone would be glorified unto the end of the earth. We pray in the name of Christ, the Lord of life. Amen.